Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text from the second chapter of Ephesians, these words, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is our text. Dear friends, in our Lord Jesus Christ, a modern author by the name of Kay Allenbaugh tells an interesting and rather humorous story about a certain woman whose name was Anita Milner. And you see, it was Anita's 50th birthday, and so to offset the ribbing that Anita knew that she was going to get from all of her colleagues at work, Anita's daughter decided to give Anita a big pin. And on the pin, it read, 50 is nifty. Well, Anita wore the pin to work that day. It turned out to be a great day at work for her all day long, seeing that big red button pin that she wore that said, 50 is nifty. People kept on saying things like, Anita, you don't look 50 at all, or Anita, when I turn 50, I sure hope that I look like you do, or Anita, you look so young for being 50 years old. It was great, Anita said. It was so affirming at a time when I needed a little positive reaffirmation, having just turned 50. And now I knew, she says, that they were either lying to me or they were really stretching the truth quite a bit, and I knew that they knew that I knew that. But then what are friends for, she says. But you know what happens when you are told to lie often enough, or you tell a lie often enough yourself, you know what happens, you start believing it. And by the end of the day, she said, I felt absolutely fabulous. I mean, I floated home from work that day, planning all the way that I would jokingly tell my husband that I decided to dump him because he was way too old for a young-looking gal like me. And then arriving home, she had just shut the front door and she planted herself in her favorite chair to reflect upon all of the positive strokes that she'd gotten during the course of the day and the doorbell rang. And she answered it and there was a young girl from the florist shop with a lovely arrangement of flowers in her hands, flowers for Anita's birthday, beautiful flowers. And Anita stood there just admiring those flowers and took them from the young girl and admired them some more and the young girl kept standing there waiting of course for her tip. It's then that the delivery girl noticed that big red button on Anita's blouse and she said 50 huh? And Anita answered yes the big 5-0 and then pausing thinking I can handle one more compliment today before my birthday ends. The girl said 50. That's great, ma'am. My grandparents just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, too. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is sometimes? Sometimes, all too often perhaps, just when you're starting to feel good about yourself or about something, that someone steps in and bursts that self-inflated bubble. It might happen because of what a spouse says, it might happen because of what a child says, it might happen because of what a delivery person says, inadvertently, unintendingly. It might happen indeed because of what St. Paul says. 
Because you see, St. Paul in our text for today bursts that self-inflated bubble that anybody of any generation might have, that anyone who thinks that he has accomplished something of his own and his own efforts, Paul comes along and he certainly bursts that bubble very quickly. And he does it as he speaks to the Christians in the city of Ephesus a couple of thousand years ago. And that's important because the city of Ephesus is a city very much like cities in our own area today. A city that bears a real resemblance to a city, for example, like San Jose or like San Francisco, a city of celebrated prosperity, a city of affluence, and thus also a city that might be a major tourist attraction for people of the time. After all, who wouldn't want to see the great city by the sea? Or city by the bay, we might say, with its huge theater that was built right into Mount Pion in the center of the city, a theater that was so massive that it could hold between 25,000 and 50,000 people at any given point in time, sort of like AT&T Park over there in San Francisco. Huge city with all kinds of attractions to it, a city whose main road indeed was 70 feet wide. And it went all the way from the massive columns that were down there in city central right downtown Ephesus all the way down to the ports and all the way down to the docks. Down there where the east met the west. Sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? A city which also was the center of a lot of pagan rites and practices and religion a city that tolerated about everything but anyone who would come along like St. Paul and say there's a right and there's a wrong, and by the way, you're wrong. A city which boasted one of the seven wonders of the world at the time, the great temple of the goddess Diana, a temple four times the size of the great Parthenon in Athens, a, a temple that was supported on a hundred massive columns, many of them exquisitely sculptured all the way around the top of them, wealthy, prominent, innovative, creative, independent people, self-made, self-sufficient, people who worked hard to put themselves into positions of influence and affluence and honor, prided themselves in their individual and in their corporate accomplishments, Sounds an awful lot like cities we might know and like people that we might know. Proud people who thought, I've got what I've got because I went out and I got it. And like so many self-made and so many self-sufficient folks in our own day, those Ephesians were doing exactly what so many people in our own day do. They, they made a mistake of taking what they would accomplish and what they would do in the social realm, in the civil realm, and they transferred that idea of working hard and getting things for it, which is fine in the civil realm, and it's the way it should work. But transferring that over into the other kingdom, into the spiritual realm, it doesn't work. But that's what man does. If I do what I do over here and I work hard for it, then certainly in the spiritual realm too, that must be the way it operates. It must be the way it works, that you work hard and you'll get this. You'll work hard and you'll get that. You do things right and you earn this. You earn that. You earn heaven. You earn all that heaven holds if only you'll do what's right. That's the way it works, isn't it? 
And along comes St. Paul, and he bursts that bubble. And he says, no, that's not the way it works at all. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You're not going to be saved by what you've done. You're not going to be saved because of what you've made yourself. You have no place in the city above, in the holy Jerusalem, because you happen to make good down here below in the city of Ephesus or in the city of Jerusalem or in the city of San Jose or in the city of San Francisco. doesn't work that way, not here. You're not going to be saved on the basis of what you've done down there. You're going to be saved only on the basis of what one man, of what Jesus Christ has done for you because God was in him reconciling the world unto himself because we heard in today's gospel for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that's what saved you so it is that just a few verses before our text for today Saint Paul says look you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins you were by nature children of wrath even like all the rest of mankind but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, he's the one who made us alive together in Christ Jesus. Now think on those words and tell me, who's the one that's doing all the work in these passages? Is it you? Me? Is it the sinner who by his work accomplishes what he hopes to have? No. Paul says we're all dead men. You were dead in your transgressions. Dead men don't talk. Dead men don't walk. Dead men don't work. Dead men can do absolutely nothing because they are dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. You were dead in each and every one of them in trespasses and transgressions and sins. You're dead, dead, dead. We clearly are not the active agents of our salvation. We were dead. But guess who is the active agent in our salvation? Who is the one who is at work, actively, powerfully engaging the problem of our sin and the situation of our death? Better yet, let St. Paul tell you who it is. Let him tell you who it is who's doing all the work for your salvation because right before our text for today, he says, but God being rich in his mercy, made us alive. God raised us up together with Christ. God seated us at his right hand in the heavenly places. God, God, God to our dead, dead, dead. God is the active agent. God is the one who's doing all of the work. We are but the passive beneficiaries of all of God's grace. And that's why St. Paul in one felt swoop, disarms once and for all any and every notion that we, even in the slightest way, have contributed anything at all to our salvation. And he says, for by grace, an undeserved attitude of God toward you, for by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves even. It's the gift of God to you, not as a result of works, lest any man should in any way be able to boast. 
Not even the faith that you have in Jesus Christ is something of which you can take pride as though it were a work of your own that you've accomplished. No, because faith, it tells us right there, is a gift from God himself created in you by the Holy Spirit and holy baptism through his word, sustained within you by his word and by his sacraments. Paul insists that even our faith that apprehends the work of Christ and trustingly takes hold of it and clings to it, even that faith is a gift of God, not as a result of your works, lest any man should boast. Over against then every form of works righteousness, all the way from the blatant kind that says, by my good conduct and by what I've done, because I've been a good father or a good husband or because I've been a good mother or wife or whatever it is that we might claim as our own, that blatant kind of works righteousness that I have therefore attained salvation for myself by what I've been, from that kind of blatant self-righteousness to the more subtle kind that says, well, God did his part for me by sending a son, but now I have to do my part. I've got to add to what God has done for me over against every form of self-righteousness stands this powerful statement of the Apostle Paul, for by grace have you been saved, through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God to you, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, God's grace provides you not only the Savior from your sins, but God's grace provides you with the faith that then clings throughout your life to that Savior. That's the formula. The divine formula is not Christ's work on the cross plus my work of faith for him and in him. That's not the formula. It's Christ's work on the cross plus the Holy Spirit's work within me. That is what equals salvation. It's not God's work plus mine. It's not 50% his and 50% mine or even 75% his and 25 mine or 99% his and 1% mine. It's 100% his work in me and for me that has brought me salvation. Grace. That's what grace is. And that's why St. Paul has to conclude our text by saying, you see, we're God's workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. It's all his doing what he has done for us. It's all a free gift of his amazing, amazing grace. And it's no wonder then, is it? That in the writings of St. Paul and his 13 epistles in the New Testament, we find the word grace no less than 101 times. Over 100 times, Paul uses that word and speaks of that concept. No wonder that the apostle of grace has such a phenomenal impact upon that great preacher of grace, Martin Luther, who insisted that all the world needs to know that it's sola gratia, that it's by grace alone that we're saved and not by works of the law. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That's what it means to say that we're God's workmanship. That we've been created in Christ Jesus. He's done it all. And he's done it all for you. Now it takes a little while for that wonderful message of grace and for all that God has done in Christ to make its way 
through the filter of this messed up mortal matter that we call our minds, tainted as they are by sin. Indeed, even lifelong Christians never fully grasp and comprehend the full measure of God's grace. It's so much greater than we are, and thankfully it's so much greater than any of our sins are. And it's because it's greater than we are that St. Paul stands back and he says in his last epistle that he wrote, he stands back and he says that we are then to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because the grace of God is so phenomenal that we'll never outgrow it and understand it fully. And as we do, as we grow in that grace and understanding our knowledge of the, the grace of God in Christ, you know what happens? We're moved more and more by that grace of God and His Holy Spirit working within us to do those things that God would have us do, not so that we will be saved. We're already saved. No, we do them because now we who are saved have been, as the text for today makes so clear, we've been saved for a purpose. Isn't that what it says? We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amazingly, even the good then that you do in this world and in this life is something that God has already prepared for you to do. He is working, His Holy Spirit working in you to accomplish that which He wills you to do, and so that He's doing it through you. Even the good you do is what God does through you. Elsewhere, St. Paul says, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. And often His good pleasure is that his blood-bought people find themselves doing with others what others have problems doing all by themselves. And how God has so often worked through you to do that, whether it's with a spouse or with a family member or with a neighbor or a friend or a fellow saint in Christ, strengthening them, encouraging them, bearing burdens with them, burden-bearing, burden-sharing, call it what you will, Whichever it's God's people being fitted out by God, where God himself is going to work through them to help somebody else bear the burdens that they otherwise would have to bear alone. Speaking of being fitted out by God to bear burdens, there's a wonderful legend about the quiet years, sometimes called the silent years, of our Lord Jesus' life. Those years between his late teens and his 20s, the legend claims that during that time, his late teens and his early and mid-twenties, the legend says that, that Jesus had gained quite a phenomenal reputation as one of the best master yoke makers in the Nazareth region of Galilee. And people, it is said, would come from miles around for a yoke that he might make and fashion the yoke for them. After all, he was the carpenter's son. He was a master yoke-maker, so it said. When customers arrived with their team of oxen, Jesus would spend considerable time measuring the team, their height, their width, the space between them, the size of their shoulders, measuring every contour precisely, carefully, even lovingly. And within a week, 
The team of oxen would be returned to the master yoke maker of Nazareth and he would, the legend goes, carefully place his newly made yoke upon their shoulders, watching for all of the rough places between the yoke and where their shoulders might meet, smoothing out the edges of each yoke, fitting them perfectly to each ox of the team. Such care, such precision. And dear friends, the master yoke maker, you can be sure, does no less for you. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Don't misunderstand the word easy there, by the way. Its root word in Greek, Christos, speaks directly of tailor-made yokes. They were well-fitting, that's what the word really means, that we translate easy, well-fitting. The well-fitting yokes of the master yoke-maker, the well-fitting yokes of Jesus fitting exactly to your life, fitting you perfectly well, not rubbing you unduly, but bringing rest to worn and to weary and to burden-bearing souls. And bear this in mind as well, the well-fitting yokes that Jesus would allow us to bear, the well-fitting yokes of our yoke-maker, our master, and our Lord Jesus Christ, they're always designed for two. For two. For you and for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our strength, who is our salvation. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.